This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. From the Ziggurat at Omaha, this is the Weekly Nerd News Update with your two-headed reporter, Joe and Matt. Welcome to your THN Nerd News Update for the week of 212 through 218. I'm your head number one. My name is Matt Bomb. This is hard-hitting news, Joe Patrick. That's right, and I'm your head number two, the Internet's Joe Patrick. We begin with movie news. <coughs> All right. <laughs> Enough of that bullshit. During last week's Super Bowl, which I'm told is a very popular sporting event. Renana was there. Renana, yeah. Yeah, yeah. DC fans were treated to a first look at The Flash, which, you know, we might as well just call Flashpoint at this at this point in time. Matt, how many Batmans did you count in that trailer? I think I counted all the Batmans. I think there's more Batmans than there are Flashes in this movie. <laughs> well, I, I mean, they should call I it. I think it's I think it's a close call. Yeah, I think we need to call it Batpoint at this point. So we know Keaton's there. No big secret. We got to look at Ben. He's absolutely ben in the there, movie. Yeah. No question. Now there were some people. And this is conspiratorial, and I don't buy it. But there are some people looking at frames of like Batman on the bridge doing stuff, and they're like, I don't think that's Keaton or Ben. That looks like it might be Bale making an it's appearance. It's not though. I don't people think it are, is. People are like, oh, that's the that's the bat pod thing, the, the motorcycle yeah. that shoots out of the tumbler. It's not. No, I don't. I don't think it is either. I think we're getting Christian Keaton. Bale is not in this movie. Yeah, no. We know Keaton and Ben are there. I would now, say hundred to one. If George Clooney's in this movie, Clooney's not going to show up. No way. He's no way. Hey. I'm going to say 100 to 1 that any other Batman shows up. They might do some little wink of something. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but now that I've put the conspiracy theory into the universe, that guy is not above, like, showing up in something if if it means that they throw some money at his... We're talking a much maligned Batman, though. I mean, look, man, I don't make the rules. I get it. I don't make the rules. I get it. So let's break down what we did see. <laughs> the story is basically Barry going back in time to try and save mom. He's he's traveling to well, not go back in time, but to a different reality. No, where, well, he tries to go back in time. Yeah. And when he goes back in time and tries to change the past, it creates an alternate universe. It is essentially Flashpoint. It yeah. is the plot of Flashpoint. Yes. Minus like. Uh, all of the weird shit that was in that Flashpoint comic. So we see an unpowered Barry because he never got him because mom never died. We see Zod is there straight out of Batman versus uh, Superman. Or no, I'm sorry, the first Superman. Man of Steel. Man Pardon of Steel. me, straight out of Man of Steel because there was no Superman to stop Zod at this point. Now, there's no Superman, but there is a Supergirl. This is definitely an alternate reality, a multiverse thing. Right. I, I don't think that we're going to be seeing – I don't think it's going to be like a Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, Far From Home or No Way Home no. situation where it's no. like three or more realities. Or I don't think it's going to be anything like that extreme. But I think we're definitely dealing with this alternate world that – they say it in the trailer where Barry says, I accidentally created a world with no metahumans. Right. And so Superman wasn't here to save us when Zod showed up to conquer us. Yeah. And uh, let's not, like, don't worry about the fact that the only reason Zod came to Earth was because Superman was here. But that's okay. yeah, not We're important. Not important. Not to think about that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Supergirl's here. But like, um, but, like, in a very, like, Flashpoint kind of homage, the Kara, Supergirl, is like imprisoned in a lab somewhere, which is, was the same deal with Superman in yeah. the Flashpoint universe. 
and um, Michael Keaton is there. So this is Michael Keaton's world. It might not like let's not worry about like whether or not this is the actual same world as Batman 89. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I mean, I, but well, if it uh, is Gotham sure got a makeover <laughs> from what I've seen. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so Batman is the only like hero on this planet and Barry recruits him to, to help restore things. They have to fight Zod Supergirl's out. And then there is a scene where the flash Barry recreates the experiment that gave him his powers to give powers to the flashpoint Barry. Two things that I noticed really uh, distinctly, uh, and maybe not everybody would notice it, but I did because I I, I was on the lookout for it. The costume, and it I don't know I don't know which Barry it is, but the costume, the new costume that we think is like oh it's an improvement over all the metal plates and stuff, but it's still all lit up and and yeah and definitely and weird. But there are scenes in that trailer. When he's standing still and there are no neon lights. Yeah. Like it looks like the flat. It looks legit. It does. Like the flash costume. And the light up stuff looks like that is they're doing that instead of the lightning. Maybe like when he's doing flash stuff, it starts to light up. Well, when he runs, he might still have lightning, but yeah. Yeah. But, um, and then the other thing was (laughs) for some reason they recast Barry's dad. Like was Billy Crudup too busy? (laughs) I think Crudup was like, screw you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I got stuff to but do. Like what? It's not I like Billy Crudup is too good to be. I in love the movie. Billy Crudup. I won't listen to you talk smack about him. That guy's an I'm excellent I'm not. Actor. I'm not. All but right? like, I'm like, where is he? Was he did like, maybe he's, oh, you know what? He's got another, make, uh, series, you know, the morning show on Apple. I'm sure there's, sure, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Season and they've three been, they've, this movie has been in the works for so long that he may have been working on the morning. Who knows? Show yeah. Um, but so Barry's new dad is Ron Livingston from office space and he's fine. I like Ron Livingston too. He's really good. I do too. Okay. So Uh, I think it's safe to say at this point though, this is not going to roll into James Gunn's universe. This is going to be a bow on the flash story. There may be aspects of it that are touched on probably not in Shazam, maybe in Aquaman or something, but this is. The, the end of this. Here you go. Goodbye. Well, I now mean, we're going to get a things- Batman send off. We're going to get another sweet Batman send off. And then Barry's and Barry's adventures continued. The end. Or, or they don't. <laughs> yeah. You know, or, or they don't. Yeah. Like, because whenever, whenever, whenever anybody asks about Ezra Miller's future as the flash, the, they're all cagey about it. They're like, oh, well, we'll, you know, yeah, we'll evaluate how the how th- things are, and we'll cross that bridge. We'll see we if it. he gnaws through the ropes that he's uh, tied down. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, uh, they, yeah, they, them. Uh, but um, pardon me. And uh, but I to your other point, I think two things can be true because James Gunn has said, like he said, like this movie is the reset button that allows the new DCU to take shape. So I'm not saying we're gonna see like the new Superman or the new Batman. No, like no. we're not going to see anything like that, but I think it, I do think that at the end of this movie, it's going to be distinctly clear that we are in a new universe. Okay. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Is the flash there or is it something where he gives his life to birth? We don't know. Universe? Maybe, he, you know, maybe he's like trapped in the speed force. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Or whatever. Like, it, it maybe it, it, it I don't know. I think you can do both. So, I think you're right, though. You can do both. You can do this send off for these characters and 
a new universe was born, and the tales of gods and monsters will continue right, yeah, from exactly. here, you know, or whatever. It was a new chapter. Right, right, chapter right. Chapter one, colon, <laughs> gods and monsters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, what that means for Shazam and Aquaman 2, I don't know. So we'll see. But, yeah, James Gunn has definitely said that this is the reset button. Uh, and if it's the reset button, uh, I'm not sure why they didn't wait to put this out until after Shazam and Aquaman were out. I mean, there's a lot like, going, there's a lot going why, on. And why were we, why are we rushing to get the flash out first? I think they're it, trying uh, to get this stuff done period. So they can, I move, understand, but you like know. you've got four movies to get through before I get it. Superman. Right. I get it. And so if, if the flash is the reset button, why not make that one the last one Yeah. of the four? So I don't know. We will see. It's a big question mark. The longer you wait, the more likely it is that Ezra Miller implodes. I think that might be the reason. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a you know. good point. Well, I mean, but if the movie's done, the movie's done. But I guess uh, you want it. You want Ezra to be, you know, at least present, right? Before. He, <laughs> so, regardless of all that, we're excited for this. Uh, okay. This looks fun. So, uh, the trailer. Came, I mean, this is this is the movie that on any given day we either thought would never come out, or if it ever came out, would be a, a colossal train wreck, right? And so now we've got a full trailer, not just the teaser that they gave us a, a year ago. We've got a sense of the plot. We're seeing things in action and it looks good. It, it does. looks good. It does. I mean, trailers are supposed to look good. I'm still cautiously optimistic. I know that, that first Suicide Squad trailer looked great. Look, looked awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could say that about a lot of DC films. When we first saw the trailer. Yeah. I still don't but, trust them. I think they have learned some lessons. And this is nothing against Ezra Miller as a person or, you know, the challenges they have dealt with. But I will say they're an odd actor. And listening to the way they talk and stuff, I just, I just don't hear Barry. He sounds like a weirdo. <laughs> well, so, and that's just that's just it, right? Is yeah. that all of the all of the um, issues set aside, I never thought Ezra Miller was a good choice for this role because Barry is not a goofy weirdo. Right. And it's, there's nothing wrong with a character that's a goofy weirdo, but that's not Barry. Right. It's not even Wally. Yeah, no. It, they're like, both confident. They're smart. They're oh, nerdy, sure. But, like, confident, smart, driven people. And he's kind of, I'm fumbling around. <laughs> You've got my I face. Mean, he's like, got my he's face. Like, like, <laughs> he was the comic relief character in, in Justice League. Yeah. And that's, that's a weird take on Barry. Right, and, right. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, my, my hope again, nothing against Ezra Miller, but my hope is that this truly is a fresh start Yeah, and I, that we are not recap. Like it's the, for the same reason we're not getting Henry Cavill again, even though we all wanted it. I think it's a very safe bet. So if, if we're getting a new Batman, we're getting a new Superman, just give me new everybody. We're I'm going sorry, to. Gal Gadot. I'm sorry, Jason Momoa. No, they're going to nothing to worry about there. You're an interesting man. Scott Lang. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania hit theaters on Thursday night. And here with your spoiler-free Nerd at the Movies review of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, our very own critic extraordinaire, Matt Bomb. So I went, Casey and I went yesterday, right after work, right before we had our fun little game night. As it, is, as it is this morning, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, sits at the lowest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes in the Marvel franchise at 48%. Now, I I liked it. I had a good time with this movie. I think I can understand 
why critics are panning this one a bit. And it's something that Casey said right when we got out. She said, that was good. I had fun with it. I thought it was better written than Thor, Love and Thunder because they just did one thing. They focused on the one thing and they did it and they focused very well. But they lost a lot in this one. They took some of the fun that we had in the first two Ant-Man, you know, Michael Pena and the gang and stuff like that are not here. And that is a that is a bummer. Yeah, and did more of a straightforward big Marvel movie, which is fine when we're thinking Cap, when we're thinking Avengers, even Black Widow and stuff like that. These are serious characters telling serious stories. Even the Hulk, who is lighthearted, still can tell a very serious story. Ant-Man is supposed to be the fun one. He's supposed to be funny. And there is some lighthearted stuff. You know, they they open with some lighthearted stuff. They close with some lighthearted stuff. But the story of Kang is super heavy. Majors is excellent. Absolutely okay. excellent. Um, point of order. <laughs> Three days ago, Newsarama reported that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania had the second lowest MCU score on Rotten Tomatoes at okay. 53%. Now it's at 48. The only other movie lower than that at the time was Eternals. Eternals came in at 47. So technically, oh. Ant-Man and the Wasp is still the second lowest, okay. not the lowest. Second lowest, my bad. So you know what? Great job, guys. You did it. <laughs> but the point being, like, look, does this move a lot? The, crit the criticisms I've heard, all it does is move the story forward. Some of the effects look really bad. I agree that this is definitely moving a larger story forward. We know we're getting more Kang, obviously. The effects thing. I think the main complaint was Modoc because we get full on Corey Stoll, giant Modoc head in in the costume, little little baby arms, little baby legs, flying around, being a badass. It looks ridiculous, and it looks ridiculous because Modoc looks ridiculous. They did the best that they could. I, I I'm not saying they messed up. I thought it looked like Modoc. Is it weird? Yes. It's just such a silly design. It is. But the actors yeah. also point out how weird it is every chance they get. So I don't think it is a problem with effects at all. They're playing it for a joke. I will say I don't think <laughs> the joke lands in the wake of how serious the story is. So things that I've heard, and you can confirm or deny, as far as the effects go, because of the nature of the movie, them being in the quantum realm mm -hmm. and being basically the only humans there, the crazy creatures and the technology and the architecture that it's a bit of a CGI soup. It's all effects. Yeah. It's 100% effects. So it's kind of like some people that takes some people out of it. And I, okay. I can and, see that. You know, so I, I think that like, but at it's the same one thing time, if they're done poorly, it's another, it's another thing if it's, just, you don't, it's your personal preference. Sure. And it's not done poorly. It's beautiful. It is psychedelic madness. Absolute insanity. The design is incredible. All the creatures are wild as hell. I was super bummed out. There was no mention of Micronaut bullshit, but whatever. Get over it, Matt. You know, um, it <laughs> uh, is. The other, the, the other thing, uh, I'm just like, I'm just trying to keep this moving because we don't, the more we talk about it, the more we're going to be tempted to say something right. that we shouldn't. Uh, the other thing I've heard is that. Uh, you touched on the humor of it. Ant-Man is supposed to be the funny one, right? right. It's the one you watch when you want to like release the valve on your pressure. Cutter yeah. This is the one that came out between, you know, infinity war and Endgame to make everybody feel yeah, better. Right. right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. What I've heard is that 
is mostly serious because of, again, the nature of the plot and the need to kick off the next phase and blah, blah, blah. But it's almost like they realized two thirds of the way through the movie that it's like, oh, shit. This is Ant-Man. People are going to expect some jokes. What you're saying is everything is correct. It starts off. It starts off very lighthearted. There is some fun there. It gets very heavy at the last minute. You can see a point and it's sort of like in Love and Thunder where you can see a point where the writing direction changed and they either decided we're going to do this last act differently because we wanted to lead into something or, oh, crap, we forgot to write any funny stuff in here. And they kind of forced some funny stuff in there. And I don't think all of it lands, quite honestly. Sure. But it does push the Marvel Universe in a very interesting direction. Anyone who's excited for Kang is going to be very excited after this. I thought it was good. I'm not going to say it was exceptional. Like on the scale of the most recent Marvel movies, I do think it was a better film than Love and Thunder. I don't I mean, know. You liked, the bottom line is that you liked it. Yeah, yeah. I don't like, know if you, I enjoyed you it. Had as, a fun, you had a fun time watching it. Yeah. I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as Doctor Strange, but I will say there was nothing fundamentally wrong. This is still probably the best ensemble cast that they have in these single Marvel movies. As far as the solo. Everybody's solo great. Movie. Yeah. Everybody's great in it. I really enjoyed it. And it's worth, it's worth watch. I totally understand why critics are panning it though. It makes right. sense. And that's, and that's something that I want to mention uh, as like, not everybody is looking for, like some people just want to come and see the MCU move forward. Sure. Some people just want to come and see Kang. Like the audience is loving it. And I think that's the most important thing. If the audience score was closer to 48. But, okay. Look, we then you can't trust you audience scores, problems. Joe. If we looked at audience scores and we'd say Captain Marvel was the worst movie ever made. Because a bunch of trolls, but you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> yeah. But if, like, if, yeah. if the, but then the, but the critics' consensus would be higher. So I'm saying, like, if the critics' consensus and the audience consensus are pretty close, well, and it's low, well, it's like, ew. no, 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 I got gotcha. you. This, this is a fun. It's another. The audience fun. is like, yes, this is thumbs right. up for this movie. This so. is definitely another fun Marvel movie. It does a great job setting up what's coming next. Majors is incredible. He's incredible. I, and I love him. It's just yeah, absolutely love I, him. I I think I maybe I think, the, I think the main problem. I was gonna say maybe this isn't the best place to introduce him as the main bad guy. Maybe I'll throw that out mm, there. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, I, I I I just think the bottom line is is that this movie is it's got a very specific and important function, and yeah. that is to kick off this new phase distance the MCU from what came in the last two, three, four phases. So maybe if you're just looking for a fun, goofy Ant-Man movie, watch one of the other ones. That's, yeah, that's the, that's its biggest flaw, I think. In Star Trek news, Picard season three, episode one premiered on the Paramount Mountain or whatever they're calling their streaming service. And... You can Paramount bet Paramount Plus. Joe Patrick had his Jordy LaForge visor on and a phaser set to nerd. Joey, what did you think of Jean-Luc getting the TNG gang back together? You know damn well it's not pronounced Jean-Luc. You, you I do it to you just to, just to piss you off. <laughs> I know. Um, so the short answer is I absolutely loved it. Now, I am I am somebody, you know, shock of all shocks. Everyone, the, the joke is Joe Patrick loves everything. But... I'm somebody that even though I recognize the flaws in the first two seasons, I enjoyed watching them. I recognize the things that I liked in them. But Picard season three is essentially a brand new show. Yeah, it's a full and, course correct. 
No question. It, 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 it's not really a spoiler to say that the entire Picard supporting cast minus three people I think it's three. is gone. Yeah. Um, because we've got seven of nine is here. Rafi is here. And um, Laris, Picard's Romulan lady friend, right. are here. And so Christos is gone. Agnes is gone. I mean, Christos might pop and up. I don't know. I don't think we're going to see. The Vulcan kid. We're not going to see Agnes The Vulcan again. kid is gone. Yeah. just Well, but the, their stories ended. Christos uh, yeah. stayed in the past. That's true. Agnes became the new Borg queen. I don't even, I can't even tell you what happened to the Vulcan kid. He died, but then he wasn't dead. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But the point is they're not here. This is all about Captain Picard, Admiral Picard, getting a distress call from Dr. Crusher. And no spoilers, but he has he has to get the gang back together right because starfleet is like no we're not doing that we're we're not we're not sending a we're not sending the fleet into hostile territory to because you got a distress call from your old girlfriend right and uh when she wasn't even supposed to be out there and so he's got to get the gang back together and so this first episode is uh picard and riker you know getting access to the ship and and heading out to Beverly, meeting up with Beverly, and and things uh, the plot gets introduced. So regardless so, regardless of that, let's talk about let, let's focus a little more on like what did you think of the tone here? Because the first thing I noticed when the show started, they're like, oh, nobody liked that theme song. Okay, here's the next generation theme song. Bam. Well, and like, I mean the, <laughs> the old the old theme song the old thing the the old Picard theme song is fine. I, it's but fine. It's not what you want, right? But like that it's instantly like, should tell you, okay, you're in for something different. Right after that, we get some very Star Trek the motion picture moments where they're like pulling up to the yes, ship and they're a lot playing of, uh, the old Jerry Goldsmith Star Trek music and everything. Like. This What's was his name? Something Alexander Courage is the guy. Is or the composer Goldsmith that wrote the Star Trek theme um, song or something? Yeah, but there, this is Star Trek the Motion Picture uh, theme song, and this it felt like to me, and I liked it. I liked it very much, but it felt like to me that they were sorry for the first two seasons. We should have done this from season one. Here you go. <laughs> like, we apologize. Here you go. Okay, Al- Full on Alex- Star Trek. <clears throat> Alexander Courage is the composer that wrote the original Star Trek theme song that right. So that's not what we were, what we're talking about. We're talking about the music introduced in the motion picture. That was then later the theme song for the next generation. And that's all through the show. Oh yeah. It's all through the first Jerry Goldsmith wrote all that. So yeah. And you don't, there's no traditional, like there's no traditional like theme uh, theme song sequence at the beginning of the episode. It's just like cold open title card back to the action. Right. And then at the end you get the credits with the theme song and it's, and it's the full theme song. But this is but a what com- I really liked, but I really, but what I really liked about the music in the episode is that yes, they leaned heavy on the, the next gen music, but there were notes of the Picard theme as well. No, absolutely. Like it would end and then and then roll into a bit of the Picard theme, which I thought was a really nice way to do it. I guess what I'm talking about is the tone shift here towards more of a traditional, you know, next generation Star Trek. And it starts with the new theme. But there are aspects of the show that I really liked, and they have wiped that clean. They're going full Star Trek now. It's a weird – it's not a weird move. It makes sense because they – 
they heard the criticism and that's fine. And I think we're going to be in a better place at the end of all this. It was just very noticeable what's going on. With that said, I very much enjoyed it. Well, I'm sure. on board because I, I did, did not care about those other characters. I did not care about Q getting sick and then not dying or maybe dying. And then Wesley Crusher being a space God showing like, I don't need any of that. I don't need that. Give well, me look, this that's from next gen. That, uh, but yes. Yeah. But this uh, is, this is do I mean, it like I, this I, way. I, I'm in. I, I liked the new characters, but like I admit, I I wanted Picard. Like, don't come back and give me a Picard show and then not give me anything to do with the next generation. Yeah, no. we get we got like what one or two appearances of of Riker in the first two seasons, right? And everybody and wanted that. Then it's and the, and then <laughs> like, we get like we get Data, but not Data. It's just like meh. And like I I like that this is more like look, it's nostalgia the show, right? And yes. That's good. That could that could be good. Could be bad. I thought it was great. I think the critics seem to enjoy it as well. Yeah, glad and it, glad not, it's again, back. Not that that matters. Who just prepare for a tone and, shift. That's all. Huh. I, I prepare for a tone shift from Picard. Right for sure. I am very very excited for what's to come. I think it's going to be a great send off for not only Patrick Stewart, who is um, nine hundred years old. He does look, feeble. but also <laughs> the next gen cast now. What I'm hearing, rumors, rumors, is that, you know, at first it's like, this is going to put a pin, uh, this is going to put a button on the end of the next generation uh, Deep Space Nine timeline. Right. We're done. We did it. But what I've also heard is that this will open the door for other stories in the, in the classic timeline not necessarily about obviously yeah. not about Picard and, may, and not and maybe not even about the Enterprise crew, but still set in that same timeline, which I, I think would be great. We'll see. They announced seven different shows uh, after Discovery was it, I would and, and we got two of them. <laughs> so I mean, we'll see. Uh, like I'm not saying I need a I'm not saying I need a Deep Space Nine show, but I would die if. We we even visited Deep Space Nine. For sure. I would die. Let's stay with Patrick Stewart. He mentioned he wasn't done with the X-Men yet, Joe. Does this mean you and I were wrong and the Fox X-Men are here to stay? The Fox X-Men? <laughs> uh, no. But uh, So in an interview with Entertainment Tonight, Patrick Stewart said that he and Sir Ian McKellen are, quote-unquote, not done with the X-Men. And what I think that means... It's just going to be part of that theory that I have that Deadpool is going to show yes. the transition from the Fox X-Men to the MCU. Version. 100%. And again, just like the Flash movie, not that we're going to see the new Wolverine or see the new Professor X, but it's going to be very clear that that universe is no longer the focus right it this is it's a gonna be a, it's gonna be a goodbye this is a send-off that's all it is settle Which down is why, everyone because like, that's why hugh jackman is there right exactly but I, like there's not like do i think that patrick stewart is gonna be anything to do with the actual mcu no, no absolutely not unless i'm wrong and the x-men movie which has not even been scheduled it's going to be the send off to the Fox universe. But by the time the X-Men movie now, comes out, Patrick this is it. This dead. is it. Deadpool is a guaranteed hit. It's not stained with some of the failures that the X franchises had as far as up and down box office and critics. Everybody loves Deadpool. This is the perfect way to send that whole thing off. That's all it is. And it's going to be fun. I'm not trying to downplay it. 
I'm just saying, yeah, no, don't bet that you're going to get another 10 years of Jackman as Wolverine. He's gone on record and said, I'm too We're old not. to be in this shape to do this. So, <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a send off. Right. It'll be fun. Everybody settle down. The only, the only thing like, and I'm not saying that I care, but like the, it's a funny thing to me is that the Deadpool movies are clearly in a slightly different timeline than even the Fox X-Men movies yeah. because the Colossus is way different. The Juggernaut's way oh, different. Yeah. <laughs> and, but like, who gives a, who gives a shit? Because nobody wanted that Juggernaut anyway. No. Nobody wanted Bullet Tooth Tony version of the Juggernaut anyway. Nobody yeah. wanted I'm the Juggernaut, bitch. Don't you know who I am? Our last Hollywood story uh, is that Jeff Lemire tweeted out a poster for the Essex County show, I guess. Yeah, it's a C- show, right? CBC television not, not show. Movie. No, this is going to be on Canadian, okay, Canadian Broad- Broadcasting. Yeah, Canadian movie. Broadcasting, which is odd because we thought Jeff Lemire also had a deal with Netflix. So I'm not really sure what's going on there because we know we're getting more Sweet Tooth. We're also getting Essex County that's not on Netflix. So maybe he's just allowed to do other stuff. I don't care. Well, I don't know if that he has an exclusive deal with Netflix. Like, yeah, it may not. I don't know that you can really do that. I don't think you got the Miller deal where, where they're like, we get first, you know, say on everything. But love Jeff Lemire. Love Essex County. Yeah. If you haven't read Essex County, uh, it's like Feel Bad Slice of Life comics by Jeff Lemire, certified weirdo. And it's uh, there's a, a, a compendium. It's called the Essex County Trilogy. And it's a collection of the three Essex County books basically it's all the essex county stories in one big like thick volume and it's great they're so worth reading 100 multiple award-winning harvey's it was up for eisner's and stuff excellent stuff i just think it's interesting we're doing this on cbc and nobody in the states want to pick it up which is whatever cbc's put out great shows orphan black came out of i mean it might go from this it might go from the cbc to netflix or amazon prime like that that's happened to orphan black too like it didn't stay on like i think orphan black in the states Orphan Black was aired on BBC America. So yeah. It, like, it's 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 weird. Once again, Canada making us look bad, but I thank you for it. Let's jump to comics. Some comic quick hits here before we get out of here, Joe. That's right. DC has announced a brave a Batman Brave and the Bold comic. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the upcoming movie that they've also No, announced. no, 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 no. But <laughs> it will be the return of the Brave and the Bold as an ongoing anthology series. Uh, Brave and the Bold is the sort, it was basically Batman team up. Like Marvel team up was all about Spider-Man. DC Comics Presents was all about Superman. Brave and the Bold is all about Batman teaming up with various heroes like uh, Sergeant Rock or Deadman or the Outsiders or whatever. And that book was used to introduce a lot of characters to the DC universe. For example, the final issue of the Brave and the Bold, Brave and the Bold 200 was the first appearance of the Outsiders. So. And that's going to hold true with this new series. It's going to be thick as hell, 64-page, oversized issues. First up, we got Tom King and Mitch Jarrods doing a flashback story that tells the first meeting between Batman and the Joker. There is a story written, the writing debut of Dan Mora, superstar artist, which will be a Batman black and white story. Love those. God, I love After that. After that, uh, we got an Ed Brisson story that uh, features the return of Stormwatch, uh, which kind of picks up what they laid down in the Wildstorm 30th anniversary special. So it's the new version of Stormwatch led by director bones. Ooh. Ooh. Hashtag not my Stormwatch, but whatever. <laughs> and then there will also be the DC debut of uh, Marvel favorite, Christopher Cantwell, who is teaming with Javier Rodriguez. Oh boy, baby. Yeah. For a story 
about Superman delving into a mystery from his past. Uh, it goes on sale May 16th. Very, very exciting. It's not just teaming up. We've got other stories. Like, this is your anthology. It's a true anthology book. Yeah, it's not just Batman team. Like, yeah, yeah and I think it's a much better Storm title Superman. than Batman Urban Legends. So, Brave and the Bold, we love it when they go back to this old stuff. I think this is a great idea. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you know, now if only we could get rid of other terribly titled comics like I Am Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, might be a very good book. I don't read it, but I Am Batman is a it's terrible, a terrible title. Name. Yeah. Urban Legends, terrible title, but a lot of fun to read. It's been really good. So, yeah. Finally, Bill Watterson is returning to the publishing world for the first time since the end of Calvin and Hobbes. He's collaborating with caricature artist John Cashed on The Mysteries, billed as a fable for grown-ups. Here's what Simon & Schuster has to say about it. It's a mysterious and beautifully illustrated fable about what lies beyond human understanding. The story follows what happens after the king of an ancient realm sends his knights to discover the source of the kingdom's unexplained calamities. Only one knight returns after years of searching. I highly doubt that knight is a tiger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, are we excited? This is Watterson is back. I am excited. I, like, it doesn't look, sound like it's he's a drawing. big deal. Anytime Bill Watterson decides to do anything, I'm paying attention. Yeah, because that man, he's a legend. He changed the face. Not only did he change the face of like comic strips forever, he changed the face of things like illustration, cartooning, and like, and he is so universally beloved. And also, his body of work is so. Slight. I mean, Calvin and Hobbes ran a long time, but that's all he did. Right. He did. Uh, he did a couple of guest appearances on um, Pearls Before Swine, which is an, a comic strip where he came in and drew a couple of uh, dream sequences for a couple of days, and nobody said anything about it. It's just like the creator did the first. The creator of the cartoon did the first panel, and then the second two panels were by Bill Watterson, and people were like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait! A minute. What is this?" And they're like, "The comic strip world like turned inside out." And then, like, he came back and did the cover of, you know, the Angoulême Comics Festival, whatever. And then he did that. He was involved in that cartooning documentary. So, like, anytime Bill Watterson, it's like, yeah, I'm into that. Yeah. I'm into it, too. And it says that Pasht and Watterson worked together, specifically on the illustrations, worked together for several years in an unusually close collaborations. They abandoned their past ways of working in order to create something new. So... It doesn't look like Bill Watterson art, but it doesn't mean that he didn't contribute to the art. I mean, yeah, it doesn't mean he won't show like, up. This is like something completely un- unique and haunting and crazy looking. Definitely interesting. I am very, very excited. Worth watching. Calvin and Hobbes uh, kicked off in 1985. It ran for about a decade. And uh, since then, Watterson disappeared from the public eye. So, yeah, I'm absolutely excited about this. Finally, this week, we are sad to report that renowned comic artist Lee Motor has passed away. Uh, according to a family friend, a statement from a family friend, Motor died quietly in his home at age 53 about a month ago. But the news has only just hit the comics industry, much like the situation with Jason Pearson uh, last month. Motor had a long career at DC. He worked on books like Legion of Superheroes and Wonder Woman before co-creating Stargirl, with Jeff Johns and Dreamer with Tom Payer and Tom McCraw, two characters that would later be brought to television. Motor's friend and frequent collaborator Ron Mars said, quote, Lee wasn't just someone I collaborated with. He was a friend. He was almost part of my family. He stayed at my house. He drew at my kitchen table with my kids. His work had such life and joy to it. 
every project we did together was a blessing. I love Lee Motors' work. It, 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 it's certainly very different than uh, a lot of uh, typical artists you would have seen during his prime in the mid-90s. But Yeah, he had big weirdo energy, but it was cool. Like, definitely. His yeah, art. it was... Uh, I, it was, But and it was also great for books like Legion yeah. and Stars and Stripe, you know, where it's like youthful energy. Yeah, his his work was just full of life. It was it was dynamic and bouncy, and I I loved him. And it's a loss. Age fifty three, too young, way too too young. young. And it's another one of those guys that like every creator came out to say like loved this guy. This sucks. Sorry to lose him so early. Lee Motor, rest in peace, brother. That's that's a rough one. Fifty three, way too young. It's a dumb thing to say. We say it all the time, but it's true. Way too young. Excelsior. Oh. That is your Nerd News update for the week. We'd love to hear what you have to say about these stories, kids. You can join us in our gang hang on Saturdays from 11 to noon over in our Discord, or you can post in our Discord Nerd News channel. You know what else we talk about over at Discord? Joe Patrick. That's right. In its own channel, it's the question of the week. This week's question is courtesy of Mark Orenberger. What was something that captured your imagination as a kid, but it didn't take hold in popular culture the way you would have expected based on how much you loved it. It doesn't have to be comics. So like, for example, you loved some obscure toy or or a movie that like none of your friends saw. Yeah, you thought or it was going to be the next um, Star Wars. You, you know? <laughs> like, <clears throat> Maybe you're like Mark Zuckerberg and you wanted to turn Facebook into the, like a metaverse experience and everybody went, nah, <laughs> I'll pass. Right. <laughs> and so yeah, so, so something that you loved as a kid that you just absolutely loved and still love today, but it it just did not resonate with the zeitgeist. And you were lucky enough to be too young to sink a bunch of money into the stock, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about it. We'd love to hear from you cats. We will be back next week reviewing new comics on the regular show. We're going to have a sneak peek of our Patreon extra. But again, let us know what you thought of the return of nerd news. And until next time, true believers, my name is Matt Baum. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. And this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. <laughs>